0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood podcast. This is Scott and today Josh and I will be interviewing Jason Rule. Jason is the owner of Driven Nutrition, a father of four and a successful business owner. Welcome to the show, Jason. Oh man, thanks for having me, guys. Super fun. Um, and uh, why don't you go ahead and just tell us about your uh, your business. Let's start there.
1: Uh- so Driven Nutrition is about 7 years old. Um it's a supplement company and we distribute to affiliated gyms, crossfit gyms uh, across the world. Um our our goal is really to become the best asset a gym can have outside of its athletes. So um we have a tenant that uh your athletes CrossFit gyms specifically, they, their athletes look for them for guidance for exercise for diet. And when we started on the scene, there really wasn't much guidance as far as supplements. It was inside of any any exercise regimen, everybody looks towards supplements wondering what to take, but there really wasn't anybody inside of that space teaching owners, how do we talk to members about supplements in a way that's not salesy, but in, it comes from the, comes from the heart and a, and a place of guidance to guide them towards what their end results are, which is better health, um, whatever it is that that looks like to that, that member. So in essence, we're, we're a retail consulting company wrapped around the supplement brand.
0: So tell me, being a retail supplement company, um, how you came to the, the place where you, you moved, you know, you talk about cons- consultation, explain that and why you're doing that.
1: Well, so I used to own some retail stores. Uh, I used to be a, a franchisee for supplement stores, and uh, I kind of learned that learned that space and I, I ran my stores. My first store was in the a, in a town where I grew up, which is Hayes, Kansas. and I, my, my brother lived there in town. He was a highway patrolman, and he had three boys that all did sports. Uh, they, they were good athletes, so people looked to them as far as what do you take. So we were we we were very intentional about how do we talk to these kids that were coming in asking what supplements they should take. So I made sure that our that the employees that we hired that came on board treated every athlete and every parent as though it was one of my nephews. And that was really the way that I trained my guys. Like, look, this is these are kids, these are people, they're coming in to hit a certain goal. Our goal here isn't to sell them a product that that they'll never come back to buy. Our goal is to sell them a product that's going to help them hit their goals, in a way that's congruent with our values. And so I I just kind of drilled that ethos into into everybody that worked for us. Um, so we had a prescriptive approach at the store that we that we started started at in Hayes, and then we grew out. And then um, that that's just kind of always how I've ran our businesses um, from the standpoint of if it if it can help people, let's do a lot more of that. Um, so. Fast forward 15 years later, and here we are. To where, you know, there's there's a lot of supplement companies out there. Their primary goal, it seems, as though, is to push, 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 and they make it all about themselves. And I I really don't. That really doesn't resonate with me very much. So we went down a different path of uh, let's train these CrossFit gyms and these coaches of how to take the product and then how to talk to their members about it. To where, if it's something the coach doesn't like. I encourage them to share with members why they don't like it. Like, talk to them about it because if a member sees you as a resource for a product, not only from the standpoint of what to buy and what not to buy, but they'll see you as a as a resource when they need information. So when they're getting targeted on ads, getting influenced by people outside of your community, which is your gym, then they'll they'll remember that Scott or Josh they had a conversation one time about a product they didn't like and why they didn't like it, and then they'll come back and talk to you guys about it. So that's that's kind of what we teach.
0: What was the pathway that led you to CrossFit gyms?
1: Ah, good question. So uh, 15 years ago, uh, we started our first supplement company. Um, I got tired of supplement companies kind of coming into our stores, building it up, and then using, using our stores to build up their brands. And then they would sabotage our business to where they would either go online, sell it a buck over our cost, or start cutting out raws and ch- selling a cheaper product labeled the same it drove me nuts so i just would go from one quality brand to the next and that really seemed to be the life cycle of it so 15 years ago i finally got fed up and was like having some conversations with some higher executives inside of those brands that we were leaving with um i realized like i i know the supplement industry i I can identify what's a good raw what's a bad raw and then it just came down to how do i find uh um a contract manufacturer that adheres to good manufacturing practices um and then find a reputable supplier for raws and then find a way to make them taste good it all sounds it all sounds pretty simple uh (laughs) working backwards but it was it's been a long drawn out process um so 15 years ago we started our first brand which is called titan and seven years ago i was at a crossfit competition and then it was crossfitters against bodybuilders right like it was like bodybuilders were kind of the meatheads, crossfitters were these weird dudes that were doing paleo. Um, but in having a conversation with Jared Stevens at this competition, he's he a friend of mine. Um, we were eating from this, we were eating eggs, uh, eggs, onions, and green peppers mixed in olive oil from this paleo wagon. I said, man, do you eat like this all the time? He goes, yeah, dude, you get jacked and shredded. I said, yeah, but if you want to beat everybody out here, you'd like a bodybuilder like these guys have been counting macros, chicken and rice, chicken and rice. They eat like athletes. And so I, it was, it was around, it was that at that same competition that I realized like CrossFit was going to transition from paleo to be a pure athletic driven sport to where you can't eat paleo and be an amazing athlete. I've never met or never even heard of one MBA player or one FNL player who was a solid athlete that didn't fuel their body with carbohydrates. Um, so everything kind of goes through this ascension of knowledge to where the level of awareness rises. And I just kinda of saw the those roads eventually converge between crossfit versus bodybuilders. They're they're both they're both reaching or searching for their own level of fitness. It's just in in the ethos of what they like, whether it's the bodybuilding crowd or the CrossFit crowd.
0: Yeah. So the, so you fell into the CrossFit crowd and um, you kind of already had, it sounds like you kind of already had the the bodybuilding crowd. You've been working with them. So with the, with the CrossFit crowd, how did this uh, evolve into consulting gym owners and, and why did you see a need there?
1: Right on. So at this, at the same comp, right? So a lot of affiliates were coming up and saying, Hey, uh, what do you take pre WAD? What do you take post WAD? They have this weird language, uh, you know, cultish, like, and, uh, and they, they were so genuine and so open. And a lot of times at bodybuilding competitions, you'll notice that people are very judgmental. And when you, when you stop and think, like, they're like, it, at first, if somebody's not inside of that space, they kind of look down on it. But the truth is, those people go to bodybuilding competitions literally to be judged. They want to be judged on their physique, so that's that's the type of person that is attracted to that type of crowd. Um, me, I, coming from college athletics, um, I liked I liked just the team team uh, teammate aspect, people cheering for each other, especially in middle and last place. I thought it was amazing. And as these gym owners were coming up, asking about what do you take pre wad, let's post wad, and then they started saying the phrase I don't care if I make a profit I just want a good product off of my members. So go back 7 years, right? The only game in town was Progenix and gyms were working from a 25% profit margin. That just doesn't work in retail. Not only that, but it's it's an overpriced commodity. Right. So I like it to me it was like the the perfect the perfect storm of you've got an overpriced commodity, you've got a product that the retailers aren't really making a profit off of, you gotta sell four to pay for the one you take personally, that's a broken business model. And people are acknowledging, I don't care if I make a profit. And so I just came from the standpoint of like, look, if if we start a brand from scratch and we make products that you're proud to be able to tell your athletes about and proud to take yourself, and I teach you how to make a profit, what do you need? And so we just, we just leaned into that hard. And as time has gone on, you know, we've, we've continued to, to try to get better in terms of what products does the CrossFit space need? And then how do we, how do we position that marketing to where it's congruent with what a gym owner wants and uh, is willing to share with their members?
0: So that's been seven years. Um, Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your kids and um, their ages? If you don't, if you don't mind, kind of sharing that with us.
1: <laughs> yeah, if I can remember them all. So uh, 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 Elliot, our oldest, uh, he's 19. Um, he's a he's a student athlete at a Joplin, Missouri, uh, Missouri Southern State University. He's a decathlete. Um, let's see, Peyton is 16. Um, he he loves Olympic lifting. Um, um, loves anything to do with art and just uh, very compassionate. Young man, uh, it's been fun. Fun watching both of those young guys grow up into young men. Uh, Lauren is uh, is baby girl; she's ten, and then Laken is our youngest; he's six.
0: Okay, so um, Josh and I both have our stories um, about. <clears throat> I I basically decided to run a business with with a with a brand new child, and it, it and and Josh kind of ran the same the same journey. And I'm kind of looking here and I see, I think it's Lakin. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah.
1: Lakin. Yeah. He's okay. six.
0: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Six. And I see driven seven years. Right. A- and so, um, tell us a little bit about the experience of having a baby in the first, you know, kind of like in the, in the very <laughs> early starts of, uh, driven.
1: Well, so the, the baby, the baby part was honestly the easy part. Um, mm. Uh, during the first year of Lakin's life, uh, he had three open heart surgeries. Wow! So, as we were trying to get driven off the ground, um, you know, I was learning web design, web programming, in terms of like because the by starting a second brand from scratch, we were able to really dive into how do how do we fix the things in the industry that's broken um, sales reps. Um, how do we let people order? How do we make it to where we can communicate with everybody that's ordering fast? So we I, I really tried to do a dive into what is it we do now with Titan and then what are those, you know, some of the things that I can strip out and do a lot better and make it refined. a lot of that came down to technology that that honestly we didn't have the money uh, to, to pay for so I, I had to figure out how to develop it um, And a lot of that development process actually took place in surgical ICUs uh, because Lake and um, as he had, uh, w- when he was born, they found a, a slight murmur. And then about day nine, we went to Wichita to get this murmur checked out. And about 60 seconds into the sauna, the doctor put it down. And he said, your son is very sick. He's going to have to have emergency heart surgery immediately. I'm like, what the shit? Like, I've got three other kids back in Hayes, Kansas. Uh, like, I've got Chipotle pulled up on my map because we're planning on eating and then heading home. Um, but he ended up get, getting life flighted, Val was nursing. So I told her actually on the way to Wesley Medical Center, I said, look, they're gonna have room for you to fly to Denver, I'm gonna have to drive. Um, so make a list, tell, um, I'll call, I'll call, at Val's parents, this, this gets into a long story, Val's parents were back at our house taking care of our other three kids while we were in Wichita getting this checked out. So I just told her on the way to, to, the, to the life flight station, I said, make a list of everything we're going to need to live for the next week. We'll just wash whatever we need because we could be there anywhere between a week to three months, assuming everything went good with the surgery. I said, we'll just wash what we need and we'll buy what we need. Um, so that's, that was, that was step one. And then on day 11, he had a open art surgery and thankfully we were able to come home two weeks after that. But the whole time Val and I stayed there, um, in Denver, a children's hospital of Colorado. Uh, and then, Seven weeks later, he had this have the same surgery to to repair one of the part of the tissue wasn't expanding the way that they, they were once. So they were getting some velocity measurements that they didn't like, and um, and then at eleven and a half months, we went to University of Michigan for his third surgery, which was um, they took a pulmonary valve and actually put it inside of his heart. So now his pulmonary valve is cadaver heart, as uh, cadaver tissue, um, but during all of those surgeries and all of those recoveries, Val and I stayed there at the hospital. Thankfully, my parents lived there in town, her parents lived there in town, or were forty five minutes away, but they came into the town to stay with our kids to kinda of help. So that our both of our parents helped back and forth. So that yeah, I think I think all all combined the first year of his life, we were in we we're in a hospital for two and a half, three months.
0: So, are you saying that you use that two and a half, three months of time in the hospital where you're waiting, basically, uh, just in diving into work and taking care of your wife and son?
1: Yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was a little bit of an escape for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It was a way to. It was a way to stay busy, but also it was a time, like. I, I said those, I, I saw those kind of roads converging, um, and I knew that we had the right business opportunity. And I felt that I had the history and the mindset that, was, that could be inserted into, into this market space and have, have a long lasting impact, not only for us as a company, but for every cross the gym out there and every gym that we work with. I knew that that need was there. Um, and it's, it's one of those times like you find a moment in your life like, okay, I have to make this work. I have to do the work that's necessary and it doesn't matter the circumstances that I find myself in, there's still shit that has to get done because in whether it's two months or two years or four years, that time is going to pass. And if I don't make use of the time I have in this moment, then the opportunity may pass. And so it was, it was, it was, it was that realization as well as the escapism of having something to do. Um, it It was all of it, man.
2: Wow. So uh, go ahead Josh. Yeah, sorry. It's a that's such a powerful, you know, message and lesson because a lot of people right now are sitting on their butts going through this, you know, to kind of date this podcast, the the pandemic instead of doing what you learned right then, which is to dive in, like life still goes on and mm-hmm. you can't pause and you need to you need to take ownership and action what you can at all times
1: right right and i i think for i i had the luxury of having having a very clear vision of a north star of what it is we were going to do um and i if if i didn't have that i i would have floundered I, I really would have struggled um so i know a lot of people a lot of people that do kind of flounder during these times i i would be i i like i like during this time, like I've, with the exception of the gym drive that we just launched, we really didn't have a clear structure. I mean, our entire business model is built around teaching gyms how to do retail to the members that are in their gyms. So now these gyms are closed. Members by law aren't allowed to come to the gyms. So how do, how do we transition that? So finding something that, that you can glean onto that's a cause that, that is just um, kind of helps that focus because I don't think that right now. During a crisis time or even then, like if it would have been self-centered, I don't think that I don't think that I would have had that same drive.
0: Yeah, I think that's a it's a really important uh, point is that you do have to have a vision or capture a vision as fast as you can when things like this come up so that you do use your time. Um, Because so what do you think, you know, you you said that you didn't have the same drive. Explain that
1: uh, during the beginning of this crisis. Yeah,
0: um,
1: man, that's a, that's a that's a that's a deep question. I'd have to give that a little bit of thought. I think that um, we're we're in a position we're in a different position in life. You know, we're we're certainly more comfortable, and anytime you're more comfortable, you you get a little bit uh, softer. Um, mm-hmm. That's I think that's part of it, um, and I think just evaluating evaluating the fear of the situation that we're in of. Like we locked down two weeks before anybody else did. Like we, uh, like our staff, we said like, absolutely not. With the exception of warehouse staff, you're not allowed to come to work. Everybody else is working from home. If I see you at the gym, if I see you at a restaurant on your story, anything else, you're likely to lose your job. So for me, it was, it was, I think the first couple of weeks, it was really a matter of how do I keep our family healthy? Then how do we keep our staff healthy? Because if we get to the point, if our warehouse goes down, if we can't fulfill orders, if these guys get sick, like we, we, we offered to pay for grocery delivery. Like, I don't want any of my employees going to stores, restaurants, nothing while this is going on. Because if one of them gets sick, it's so contagious. It's very possible. A lot of them are going to get sick and then we can't fulfill orders. So whether it's you, Scott, or you, Josh, or one of your members that are ordering these products because they're shelf-stable food, if we can't fulfill those, we can't pay for health insurance for our staff. We can't pay our staff. Like, to me, it was really a matter of, it was self-preservation for our family, self-preservation for the company, and then transitioning up, okay, we've got this, because that's a hard vision to sell. Like, when you've got 19 people on a conference call telling them, if I see you at a, at a gym, I mean, we're a fitness company, if I see a story on your gym, you're probably going to get fired. Like that's a hard conversation to have, um, but that that was really the first couple of weeks, um, and then from there, trying to figure out of what what are things that you know going back to our north star, which is does it help affiliates? Is it something we have the capacity to do? Um, and then finding out, okay, what's this list? What's the one thing that we can execute on that can have the greatest impact? Um, so re re uh, reevaluating once we secured everybody's safety and health then evaluating from the standpoint of what's one thing we can actually do and do a great job on. And that's yeah. how we came up with Gym drive.
0: Yeah. Gym drive is uh, a really great um, way to help gyms during this. And so you keep, ta- you keep, you've referred a few times to North star and, and I think, um, you kind of told us what it, that was like, has that stayed the same throughout driven nutrition's life or have, have you kind of always readjusted your north star?
1: No, that's that's always been the same. You Good. know, yep. gyms have gyms have members that look to them for guidance as far as supplements, and gyms need to get more comfortable about having those conversations, and they need to get comfortable about making a profit. Uh, we're we're past that, I think, as an industry. It used to be like people would feel bad about making a profit, uh, especially in the gym space. Now now we're past that. So now it's a matter of how do we tactically um, engage with our members to where they see these gyms as a resource when they have questions or when they are thinking about supplements. Uh, but no our our North star hasn't changed our 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 mission is still to be with the exception of membership to be the most valuable asset a gym can have.
0: Oh, well, that's great. so tell me about your um, your mission. Tell me how you got there and then, yeah, tell me when that when that occurred. Was that from the very beginning?
1: Yeah, it was from the very beginning, and it really came from from the background of being sold out for the stores that I had by, by other brands. Like I've seen how, you know, I've had bills to pay. I've had, I've had to not pay myself as an employer to make sure that all my employees got paid. I've never missed payroll. You know, I've been inside that and I've gotten behind brands and have them sell me out multiple times. I know that I know how that feels and I know the effect that that had in our business they kept going. They're enormous now. They're the biggest brand in the space. The one that was final, the straw that, uh, that caused me to be like, okay, I've had enough. I'm just going to do this myself. Um, yeah, that's really where it comes from is the experience of basically getting screwed over and not being okay with it. And, and we can do better. And it's, uh, in, in the fitness industry, like health is health is health is the top priority. Uh, business is right below there they can, they can be aligned and they should be aligned.
0: So I'm going to ask you a tough question. Um, uh, another put one you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> do you have a vision or like a mission with your family? Have you have? do you personally have one? Have you discussed it with your wife? Um, have you ever gone down that road? Good question.
1: Um, so Val and I, we've been together since I was 20. Yeah. 20. Um, so 25 years now, um, like every marriage we've had our ups and downs and really finding, um, navigating it. We don't have all the answers. I wish that I could say, yes, we absolutely, this is our star. Um, but when it comes to actually going into battle, dealing with the stuff that we dealt with Lake and things, uh, we fall in line really fast together and we support each other. So I think that even when, even we're, when we're at odds and we're not getting along, that support and that trust is still there. Like, yes, I will absolutely be here if the shit hits the fan and, and not just, not just the trust, but also the accountability of, I fully expect her to be there as well. And I want her to fully expect me to be there as well to where that accountability is. And that trust is 100%. Um, faith and trust, man. I think that's, that's really what it comes down to. At least, at least in my eyes.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about, um, Raising kids, Uh, you know, (laughs) uh, you've been married, what did you say, 25 years? Uh, We've been together 24 years, 25
1: years, married uh, 20, 21, 21 years.
0: That's awesome. And you have four kids aging, you know, with a pretty big uh, span of uh, ages. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah
1: yeah true true story when uh when ellie was 13 when we found out we were expecting i have i have two i have two things that that have been constant in my life one i'm good at math and two i'm really blunt so val val comes out we're we're in hill city uh we're in hill city where her parents lived and she came out with this uh pregnancy test and she goes she goes i'm pregnant and like a fraction of a second true story uh please don't do this (laughs) uh I said, "Oh god, how do you feel about raising kids for 31 years?" And then as soon as it came out, I went like this. I was like, "I'm so sorry."
2: <laughs>
0: yeah, that's epic.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah cuz she just broke down in tears.
2: Oh my god. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Uh, that that would be a that would be a Josh maneuver to just look at <laughs> you like so you're never gonna not be parenting. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. I've i come so now I just tell people, uh, I don't have anything better to do but raise kids. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth to that, uh, both practically and uh, morally.
0: Yeah. So let's talk about that because running a successful business, we all know, and I think men are driven to, you know, work hard and provide for their families. And I'm sure that's the case for you. So running a successful business. Four kids and a wife to attend to—that um, that's a lot to—I don't—I don't, I don't want to say juggle, but it's a lot to, to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. So, what have been some of the the biggest challenges in that?
1: Uh, time and detaching—it's—it's um, it's a struggle that I constantly deal with. I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm not even—I can't even say I'm not perfect on it because I'm not even close to being good at it. Um, it's something that I'm constantly trying to improve on, and it just comes down to time trying to when i wake up i don't check my phone you know i sit down i grab a kindle i read so i have a little bit of private time i'll sit down lakin likes uh uh, peanut butter uh what is it captain crunch so he'll sit down and have some cereal with me so we kind of have that quiet quiet time in the morning lauren likes oatmeal so i make her oatmeal four times a week and we'll sit down and have breakfast so that that's kind of my time with those two little ones, uh, the bigger ones, you know. Now that they're into athletics and into lifting, spending some time just talking about their workouts, um, you know. Elliot will come up, he'll work out downstairs, and then come up and chill out in my hammock over there, and we'll just talk for ten or fifteen minutes when time allows. Um, but just checking in and asking how they're doing, um, I found this really helpful. And hearing, letting them talk, especially as they've gotten older, I've had to get better about. I've had to improve. I'm still not better. That's the truth. Um, I've had to improve at letting them talk, letting them kind of find their path without like, Hey, there's an easy fix. Like I did this shit 30 years ago, dude. Like, here's how you do it. Um, instead kind of creating a lamp for them to be able to see like, what's the next part of that journey. Um, and let them kind of struggle through it themselves because that's, that's important. The reason, the reason that, the reason that that any of us have any level of fortitude is because we dealt with shit and got over it, and we got the confidence of actually accomplishing it instead of a parent saying, "Hey, here's the fix," or "Let me fix it for you."
0: Yeah, I think uh, our instincts are to protect them from pain, right? But we learn from pain and failure. Um, did you, you and your wife, align in that kind of? Uh, I mean, in that concept?
1: Yeah, it's it's something that we've. She grew up different than I did. Um, you know, it, it, uh, they, they were a more structured family. I, I came from um, the standpoint of, hey, fail, fail often, screw up a whole bunch, because when you hit 18, it gets really expensive. Um, so really, uh, my dad is a re- retired highway patrolman. Ours was, ours was mainly like, hey, don't break the law. Don't be a dipshit. Don't get killed. Um, and so we didn't have a whole lot of structure with the exception of just those values. And. So it gave it gave me the the ability to go out and you know I I drink in high school I would get tickets I I think I rounded off every corner in my car before it was uh, before I was before I was seventeen years old um, so we we were raised we were raised differently so we've had to navigate those processes of okay here's here's how I was raised here's and then here the other side of it of here's how I was raised okay what's how do how do we approach this with our kids what's something that we can agree on whether it's whether it's a middle of the road compromise or going completely to to how what she knew or what what I know, but but talking that out and then getting behind each other, trusting that the direction is right and then holding each other accountable in what we
0: decide. I've heard you say before um that you're a big proponent for making durable humans. How is that <laughs> how has that guided you like with parenting and business and how you maybe even how you run your business?
1: Well with parenting, um I mean, you said every every parent tries to protect their kids from pain. I mean, I, I think that's a, a common mistake. I'm not, I think I think people go different ways. They're an absolute helicopter parent, or they completely detach and let them free range, right? Um, I think having a happy medium that, that you can be comfortable with, but really in reality is you're going to screw up. You're not going to do this right. You just have to do the best job you can and give yourself a little bit of grace. Uh, but in terms of the durable human comment is when Ellie was, 10 or 11. Like he's the most happy go lucky dude on the planet, you know, six foot two, great looking dude and has this amazing, like, he walks in a room and he just lights up. He enjoys being around people. He doesn't like conflict. Um, so there's this one bully in the neighborhood and you know, like a lot of dads, like I, I didn't teach him to fight, but I told him like, look, you're going to get hit. It's going to hurt, but I promise you're not going to die. But all you have to do is if, if this bully, if he pushes you off the, his bike, which he was known to do, I said, just get up and make it really uncomfortable for him. Make him earn kicking your ass. And, because trust me, if, if it's hard, if it's hard, he's not going to want to do it again. He's just going to be like, that shit isn't worth it. So, <laughs> just, just having that mindset of, of teaching to Elliot um, that, and, and at 13, he dealt with it. He got pushed off his bike and he got up and he had tears in his eyes and he just went wailing on the kid. Came home, he was in tears and but he had this huge smile on his face and he was, he was, dad, am I in trouble? I just got to fight. And I said, what happened? Uh, we broke it down. And I said, no, but like you did the right thing. Uh, I don't believe in going and talking to the parents' kids. If they want to call me and ask what happened, I'll give them my side of the story. Obviously their kid is going to have their side of the story. They're both probably a little bit of a lie, the truth be told. Um, but I accept that. I'm like, Hey, it's the lesson that I think is more important in getting pushed off your bike and stand up and make sure that that bully has to work his butt off in order to, put some heat on you. Um, so that uh, making durable humans, I think that's what it comes down to. Not, not trusting. I heard, I heard a phrase one time, kids are born selfish. It's, it's our job to make them to where they're no longer selfish. I think part of that is, is realizing that they're going to be selfish. They're going to be dishonest and not believing everything that comes out of your kid's mouth. Um, taking it with a grain of salt.
0: Yeah, that's good. That's really good. So, um, Let's pivot a little bit to running a business and leading people. Uh, how do you lead your team? What are some of the key things that you, you do as a, as a leader? Mm.
1: Um, I read a lot. So whenever, whenever we hire someone, I give them the same books. Um, Delivering Happiness by Tony Hsieh, mm. uh Help First by Chris Cooper, I love that book. Uh, he does an amazing job of kind of teaching that, hey, you're here to help and if you help enough people, it's really the Zig Ziglar mantra of you can have everything in life you want if you can help enough other people get what they want. Um, so th- those are big ones. And we just talk and it, uh, uh I, I like to listen to audio podcasts, um, that are, that have a level of self-improvement. So, um, I'll talk, I'll talk with our entire team. Um, the, the ones that d- report directly to me that I, um, I can't have a close relationship with everybody. I'm familiar with everybody that works for us, but ones that report directly to me, um, I know, you know, I know about their families. I know what's going on in their life um, and just ask, you know, Hey, how are you doing through this? Um, and it, so my hope is that by doing that, that they'll do that with the people that they interact with, whether it's our clients or people that report them to them. Um, so just coming at it from the standpoint of care.
0: Yeah. So you, you care for your employees, show them that you care and lead through helping them get the same resources you've gotten that have helped you
1: right right and one of the things that over the last couple years i focused more on is trying to identify what our talents and then steering that person not only towards their talent in terms of how it affects our our company but provide them training um you know one 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 guy tyler chamas he works for us he takes care of digital media and social content and so we were just talking one time and i said would you like to learn more about copywriting he said I would love that so i just i didn't ask i just paid for a copywriting course sent it to him and said hey congratulations man i really appreciate your interest in this so giving them a pat on the back but also something to be that next guideline of here's here's where i hope you go uh based off your yeah. interest and in the conversation we had <laughs> because like if i if i would have done that with anyone else in the company it, it would have been a waste of money and it would have been incongruent because Like, why is this person giving me this? Like, great, now I have to learn something else I really don't give a crap about.
0: But don't you think that 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 line of thinking where you're kind of finding where, you know, an employee wants, what they're good at and where they're interested in in improving or learning, Mm -hmm. do you apply that also in raising kids?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, Like, my my brother has uh, amazing athletes um, for kids. Uh, football, baseball—they—they they were just exceptional at everything. And um, we, we, with our kids, we took the tack of we want to um, we want to push them in the direction that they choose instead of pulling them in the direction that we want them to go. So if they choose that path of, like Peyton, uh, he's strong as heck. Like, good God, the the kid will snatch he'll clean. Like, it's amazing. Um, but he has absolutely no interest in football. He never has. And we're, we're a football family. Like we all played football. My nephew is like, like we love it Friday nights, bring it, man. Um, but he never had any interest in it. So, but I never made him play football, but I'd go play catch with him. And, and I, I we still have conversations and he'll laugh about it because he doesn't have to like football, but he has to know how to throw a football because I taught him like, you're going to be out on the playground and you may not want to play catch, but if you can't throw a ball, you're going to get made fun of, I'm sorry but that's the truth. It's not right. It's not fair, but that's the reality. So at the very least, as a father, I feel I have to teach you how to throw a ball. If you don't ever want to throw a ball again, you don't have to dude. but you have to be able to do it. So let's just go out just grind through it. You, you may be miserable. That's fine. But someday if somebody throws you a ball, you're going to want to catch it instead of just taking it to the face. Um, so yes, that, 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 with that caveat of if it's something I think they have to be able to do, Try to give them the skills to where down the road they can they can either access it or use it throughout their life.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really uh, important point: is training our kids for the things that they need access to, the things that they need they will be, um, you know, faced with. Like it's mm-hmm. the same for my kids, and they're happy they know to talk. I, I, we live in Texas; they they they're happy they're happy that we expose them to football. Um, my oldest doesn't play football, but he can have those conversations. Right. So we've equipped him, but we also support in the things that he's really good at and follow and, and is interested in. And, um, would I have loved for him to be an amazing football player? Yes, but that's not his gifting, Right. 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 And, and, um, I, I love that approach with both kids and, um, leadership and company, leading people
2: is let me jump in real quick. It's, uh, it's one of the values of the brotherhood, right? Uh, you know, I wrote about it, you know, two weeks ago or whatever, it's ability, right? This is one of our values. It's ability. It's identifying like those little things that you have this ability that, you know, maybe, uh, take away a little bit of pain. Like you described, like you have to know how to throw, or you're going to get made fun of, you know? Um, and, and there's, there's other things like that in life, uh, how to swim, you know? Mm-hmm. it's just a, a life skill or whatever. And that's kind of what those abilities are. And and they also make you interesting. Like you said, being able to talk football, which thankfully it's not football season. It's like my favorite thing in the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> this has become a fantasy podcast in no time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so here's, here's something that's interesting, Josh, that, that ability thing. Um, and, and this uh, it's always resonating with me and I'll, I'll recall it every once in a while, but I've never intentionally kind of brought it up. So in high school, I was a good friend of mine. Um, his parents were divorced and he actually had this Plymouth laser, right? So like, like mid eighties, they were fast. It was a turbo, but that was the time when cars were crap. anyway. well, he drove, he drove to the airport and then he drove back. And then I was at his house when he got back and I smelled oil. I was like, dude, what's going on with your car? And we open up, we open up, uh, the hood and he hadn't put the oil cap on. Like I drove a 64 Falcon convertible like this. Uh, um, it was, it was a hand-me-down for my brother, but I know how to fix cars because I had a car that I always had to fix. Um, that's why now I don't have a car I have to fix. <laughs> but, but if I have to, I can do some things. Uh, but anyway, we hope open the hood and he, he had not put his oil cap on. So it was blowing oil out of the valves as he was driving back from Wichita, Kansas. Um, and I gave him a hard time about it. And he goes, dude, he said, he said, you can give me a hard time all you want, but I checked my oil and I added it when it looked, uh, when it looked like it was out. I said, dude, this isn't gas. Like you, like this line, you have to keep it here. He said, he said, Jason, I don't have a dad to teach me that. He said, quit giving me shit about it. And I, so that, that sticks in the back of my mind. So, uh, all of our boys, uh, well, uh, all, and Lauren will too, she'll know how to change a tire. They've all changed their oil. They all take care of changing their windshield wipers, little things like that. Like um, Elliot, he, I drove a Prius up to 189,000 miles and then I gave it to him when he was in high school. So when the, when the 12-volt battery went out, I gave him a YouTube video. And he's one of those kids that has to learn, like I can't get in and do anything because he's like, oh, I got this. I, I know, I know, I know. So I just gave him a video and said, there. Um, and he ended up replacing it three other times over the four years that he owned it. And I never had to help. I never had to do anything, but here's the video. And he would get frustrated, he would hit his knuckles and stuff like that. But that's how, that's how he learns. Um, so changing oil, knowing how to change a tire. Um, it, it's amazing. The, the, the people that I still meet today that they don't know how to change oil or they don't even know how to check their oil. Like, well, I checked and there's some oil in it. Well, is there <laughs> I mean, you really should be able to answer that.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Checking oil, changing tires. Oh my gosh! Like, if if you're the luckiest person in the world, you're you might not have one, but like, I I can't even. I've probably had thirty of those things in my life. You know right. already you know, that you have to get out there. So that's really interesting. Um, you know, like what the, your your cousin or brother said to you about like, I didn't have a dad to teach me this, and that really like just shot off my brain. Like, holy crap! Like. I almost need to make a list of like what
0: Right. essential. Yeah. Yeah. I feel really strongly about that, that men, um, we have our abilities, but we all have our weaknesses or our blank spots. And I, I think it's, um, I think I'm called to show people their blank spots. I, I know that's a, it, it's hard to say that, but it really, we really need to check the, check mark the boxes and as parents we need to be sure that we have those boxes in place and know what we need to check mark. Um, somebody I interviewed a little back um Brian um Sanders told me and I, I put this in the in the Facebook group but he said um your daughter should be as comfortable in a evening gown as she is on a dirty uh dugout bench and Absolutely. Um, and we said the same thing about, uh, I, I, Josh and I were kind of talking about that. We're same thing about boys. They should be as comfortable in, you know, nice clothing as they are digging with their fingers in the dirt. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I just think abilities are, are something we never end on, we never. Right. And so you, you talked a little earlier about, Leadership—it's um, also something that I, I do very, very similar to you. What are what are the things? Is is that the area where you are always constantly learning? Is there other areas that you continue to engage in to improve?
1: Uh, leadership, leadership—I love um, it's something that I've, that I've honestly fought. Um, I need to write a book called "The Reluctant CEO" um, mm. because it's not something that that I, I was drawn to from the standpoint of I want to do that. It's like I can do it. Um it's needed. Okay, so fine, I'll do it. Um so what skills do I have to learn in order to actually be able to do a good job at it until somebody a lot smarter than me comes along and can actually take the reins and execute a lot better than I can. I, I can't wait for that day. Um, but I I genuinely I absolutely love deconstructing businesses. Having conversations, open conversations, where people have conversations and say, "Okay, this is where this is my business. Here's the things I do. Here's here's what I do well. Here's what I struggle with." And I, I'm good at I'm good at maps. I'm good at um, mazes of finding those missing pieces, like you mentioned, of taking things apart and then putting them back together. Whether it's this skill set that I may have, um, because I've had so many amazing mentors through life that have, I've had these conversations with and they've shared one bit of information that absolutely blew the doors off of another ability that I didn't realize that, that I had or I had an interest in or a capacity to expand on. Uh, one of those is marketing. One of those is digital marketing, um, email marketing, Facebook marketing, Facebook messenger, that type of thing. Um, and it's just until that door's open, you kind of peek through it and somebody points out like, hey, this is here. This is something you can do then you really don't have the opportunity to even realize that doors there to be able to expand your knowledge base. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a constant learner.
0: Yeah. That's so important. It's so important, especially when you're leading people. And honestly, when you're, when you're a husband and a father, you're leading people, right? Right. I mean, you don't have to be a CEO to, to, um, you should be doing this no matter what. That's my (laughs) personal opinion. Right yeah so uh, let's uh let's wrap up on um maybe telling us your your the most impactful uh book or leader or seminar or talk um, it, can you nail it down
1: so man, there's been so many great books. um I really like delivering happiness by tony Shea um, because he goes into not only the culture of the company that he grew but he he navigates you through the technology pieces that he had to develop himself. Um, and some of the struggles that he found, like, okay, as a company, as we grew, this is one of the problems that we had. There was no solution for it. So I had to create it. Um, and now he's got this amazing Mecca in Vegas that people travel to, to try to experience and try to absorb some of the culture that he's been to establish, which is this amazing group. Like they have, if you haven't ever read the book, they have, they have an award for the, customer sales rep or the customer support rep that has spent the most time on the phone with a customer. Like that's not selling crap. That's not making any money,
0: Dude, that is but I think good. it's like,
1: yeah, I think it's yeah. like seven or eight hours. Like I, don't, I don't know how the guy went to the bathroom. Surely he had his set of headphones on and would, would take a pee break or something. Um, but it, it, that seven or eight hours, it may be longer than that. Like it, it isn't a massive amount of time, but if you call Zappos and say, hey, what's the weather in New York? Can you find me a good hotel? They will absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just their culture. And not, not, every, not every company can pull it off because it will get taken advantage of, but they've got the culture not only within their company, but within their customer base to where they've kind of staked their claim of this is the type of clientele we are wanting to work with. In order to do that, this is the type of company we have to be
2: yeah that's so so pertinent as a business owner, like I learned that on April first when I had only six total people positive membership you know yeah. and wow, we immediately knew like we have the the type of people that we want to work with, you know, and we' right. and we've done that for a while but but you're absolutely right like it, give and take and when you can identify that then then you're, you're going to stay in business in the tough times and you're going to um, skyrocket into the future you know this so it really is that that point that you made is just it's awesome
0: yeah it is it is well Jason uh, tell me on uh, where people can find out more about driven nutrition and all things Jason rule well do you you, want them to
1: know (laughs) no i don't uh i'm not a very um i just i'm just me man so if you want to see pictures of my kids and and me hanging out on the deck and reading a book with them or something like that cool it's jason underscore rule uh r-u-l-e um and uh you can find all the information about driven nutrition drivennutrition.com on facebook as well as on instagram so yeah if you have any questions or anything like that we're glad to help
2: yeah, I got a, a maybe a fun question. I guess I should ask. that, that We're like, hey, we're wrapping up, but this hey. my head. what's the what's the best supplement a dad should be taking?
1: Ooh, good question. Good question. So, um, really, it's the same supplement a, a mom should be taking. Um, our survivability in our fifties, uh, sixties, and beyond is predicated on the amount of muscle mass we can put on right now. That's it. It's it's bone density and it's muscle mass, hard heart health. Like but like hard health comes down to exercise and actually moving long term, uh so on and so forth. But from a supplement standpoint, it's protein. Like muscle is made up of protein and a lot of dads especially and, and women also, because getting enough protein is hard. Like it's a job, like a chicken breast has 20, 22 grams of protein. Um, you know, if you're a 180-pound guy like me, I try to get in 180 grams of protein a day. Like that's hard. It is a a good diet. I think that even if somebody isn't tracking their macros and if they sit down and just wrote down only, I had one guy text me one time. I said, just every time you eat something, text me the grams of protein, nothing else. It was like 62. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, but that's normal. Like, uh, you know, you eat breakfast, you eat lunch, you eat dinner. You're going to be lucky to bring in 60 or 70 grams of protein. So unless you're disciplined and bring chicken and rice, chicken and rice, chicken and rice, which I'm not, um, it's really hard. So to me, it's a matter of, uh, um, high speed, low drag. It's very easy. It's very simple. I can take a scoop of driven whey. I can throw it in a scoop of four ounces of water and I can drink it before I eat breakfast, before I eat lunch and before I eat dinner. And now I've added 60 to 70 grams of protein to my diet without really increasing any work or any mass to my actual food. Cause I can still sit down. It takes a while before your stomach tells your head that you're full so I can add 20 grams of protein to my meal before I eat, and I'm great. So okay. it's that one thing is the one supplement that every dude and every girl should be taking every single day. Increase your protein intake.
0: Yeah, awesome. i've 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 heard uh, I've heard your your shakes or your protein tastes really well. What's the What's the top selling uh, flavor?
1: Uh, honestly, so we have uh, chocolate peanut butter, fresh cinnamon roll, uh, banana cream pie, strawberry milkshake. Our top sellers. No, we have seven different flavors of protein. Actually, I take it back. We have 32 SKUs just of protein alone in terms of different sizes and different flavors. But you want to know our two top selling flavors? I do. Come on. Chocolate Chocolate and and vanilla. vanilla. (laughs)
0: Yeah. 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 But I've heard the cinnamon roll is really good. So that was someone Someone said that. I haven't tried that one. So
1: Yeah. So that's, that's interesting because nobody talks about normal stuff. It's the weird stuff that makes it stand out. That gives people something to talk about, you know, I mean the most benign flavors on the planet, chocolate and vanilla. So those are our top sellers, but the one people talk about the most are either fresh cinnamon roll or caramel latte.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All things I must try. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, thanks a lot, man. It's been really fun Absolutely. chatting with you.
1: Absolutely. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. I enjoyed this conversation.